Romans 5, 6 this morning. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul says that when we were powerless, and, and you see the words up there on the, on the screen, it means to, to be weak or sick or without strength or, or helpless. So according to, uh, to Paul, in, in what we consider our B.C. days, our, our before Christ days, we were morally sick. We were, we were too weak to save ourselves. Our condition made us spiritually helpless. We were sinners. We were ungodly. And I looked up what ungodly meant in the Greek, and it means not like God. See how simple sometimes the Bible is? Ungodly means not like God. The godly part means like God. Add the unto it, not like God. So Christ died for us when we were ungodly, when we were not like God. Our core identity, who we are, our heritage, our bloodline, our nature was to sin. Now, the Christian faith is, is very unique. We don't need a, a priest. We don't need a prophet. We don't need a go-between. We understand we need a Savior. A Savior. We don't need someone to tell us some, some good truths or how to, to live a moral life. Jesus does all of that and did all of that. But without Him, without Him being our Savior, we are lost. Christians are people who admit our failures. This is called confession. This is when we go to God. And, and, and you know, this is because we, we as Christians, we know we are sinners. And the Christian faith is also unique because, because we know we're sinners. No one likes to be called sinners. Do you like to be called a sinner? Do you like to, you know, somebody coming to you saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong? You know, my son, he, he hates it when I tell him he's doing something wrong. He can't stand it. In fact, he, he's kind of sensitive in, in some ways. He will go hide in a corner when he thinks he's done something wrong before we even get on him, you know? You know, he knocks over little Grayson, and, and Grayson starts crying. Man, he, Brandon takes off. He's hiding. And I'm like, Brandon, where are you going? We don't like to be called sinners. We don't like to be called, you know, saying that we've done something wrong. And this is why so many churches out there water down the Christian message, And they're like, oh, it's okay to live however you want to live. Whatever choice you want to make, that's okay. Because Jesus said to love. But the problem is we leave out all the other things that Jesus also said. The many things that, you know, the scriptures say that are ungodly acts and and that are not like God. That, that, you know, and we're like, it's all good. It's just love. Just love. Just love. It's okay. Love. But it's not all good because some things are ungodly. Period. Would you agree with me on that, right? Okay. People don't like to be called sinners. We don't walk up to someone and say, hey, sinner, how's it going? Maybe we ought to greet somebody like that, you know? Everyone believes that they are basically a good person who occasionally doesn't do good things, right? That's how we basically think, i.e., you know, no one's perfect, but I'm basically a good uh, person, so I don't need a Savior. What they're doing is grading on a curve. Well, I'm not in prison. I didn't kill anybody. I at least have a C plus. I'm good with that. When I get to heaven, as long as I don't have an F, you know what I'm saying? 
I'm okay. Then there are those that don't believe that anyone will get an F. If you just stay awake in class, answer a couple of questions, the teacher's going to go easy on you. But reality is that as, as believers in Christ Jesus and the scriptures teach us that we need to have an active belief in Christ, accept him as a savior. We by nature, you know, we're a bad person who occasionally does a good thing. See how it kind of flips there? By nature, we're basically bad people who occasionally do good things. We admit that. We admit that we need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit helps turn that nature around where the good outweighs the bad. But that's not what gets us into heaven. Our actions don't get us into heaven. Our belief and acceptance in a Savior does. Now, no one in this room is a good person who occasionally does a bad thing. Let's get that kind of straight. Let's, let's start to understand that. You can disagree with me and we can still be friends. But let me ask you this. If you're a good person who occasionally does a bad thing, then why not be good all the time? There are consequences to our bad, uh, bad actions, right? So why not stop those bad actions? Because we can't. Because our nature in us, you know, is a sinful nature. If you're a good person why did you get angry this past week? Well, anger's not a sin, yes, but, but you probably went past that anger point. You know what I'm saying? And that becomes sin. If you learn that anger is a trigger for you, then be careful of that and never get angry again. You see my point? Won't happen. We can stand up and raise our right hand and say, I will never get angry again. Kind of reminds me of Finding Nemo, the sharks, when they're, they're I, I will never eat another fish. Anyone with me? Okay, good, good. I see some heads shaking there. I will never eat, and you're like, yeah, right. Because we're basically saying, because I'm a good person and good people don't get angry, we have no hope in fulfilling that promise. If you are such a good person and you learn that lust has consequences, then don't ever lust again. Okay? See my point? If bad financial decisions get you into trouble, don't make another bad financial decision. Hmm. If you're a good person, you always do the right thing. Now, so do we have any good people here? Now you're thinking, why in the world? You're making me feel bad, Pastor Allen. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm gone. We have a sinful nature that we can't stop being bad in a sense. It's one of the reasons why Christ saves us is to help solve this problem. Now, as a Christian, we don't say, well, I'm, since I'm such a bad person, I might as well just keep sinning. I might as well go out there and just party it up and do whatever I want to do because, hey, I, I just can't stop. I mean, let's not go that way, okay? Don't get me wrong here. But Ronald Reagan said it like this. If Americans would keep the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule, 90% of my job would be over. Hmm. He was right if you think about it. The Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20, and if you go there this afternoon, if you're bored of the game or you don't watch football, go there this afternoon and ask yourself after reading them, what if America would follow these Ten Commands? <laughs> and you don't even have to be a Christian to follow nine of them. 
And the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. You know, another religion actually has the rule of do unto others as what they have done to you. Imagine that. But the Bible says it's completely different for us. It's completely different for believers. You, you know, we don't, it's not always mean. You know, we need to be ni- nice, but, but maybe you want, you know, you would wish somebody to be honest to you, so maybe you go out there and you're, you're honest with somebody else. You know, hey, let me, let me tell you what I see. This is, not, this is not good. And people are like, you're being a mean, mean Christian. You should love. Well, no, sometimes it's due unto others is, well, let me tell you, I would want somebody to tell me this if I was doing this. God uses us differently. So if we all would just follow the golden rule, how would our society be different? Well, we wouldn't need jails. Everyone would have food. We wouldn't lock our doors. I mean, I, you know, I grew up going to Oklahoma all the time, a little town called uh, Hobart, Oklahoma, and my grandfather, he'd pull in, he'd, he'd put the car in park, and he'd just get out, and the keys would be hanging there. I'm like, what? We don't do that. His front door is never locked, back door is never locked. Nothing was ever locked. Tractors have the keys in them. They, he didn't even try to hide the keys, you know? Because in that community, that farming community, now it's completely changed now, okay? But 20, 30 years ago, that's the way it was. Now, laws and, you know, and laws and consequences. We have laws, we have consequences. But if we follow the golden rule, we wouldn't need that. But we do because we have a sin nature. We're tempted to do so many different things. If we can get away with something, we try to get away with it, don't we? I mean, if we can, we we try. I mean, for the most part. Unless the Lord's been maturing you in different ways. You know, you may be mature in this one part of your life, but maybe this other part of your life, you're not matured yet there. Because we're tempted to do so many things. We get into things that we wouldn't want our friends to get into. We get into things that we wouldn't want our children to get into. You know, I got a call from a friend this past week. And he said, Alan, I need some prayer. I found out my dad, he didn't raise me this way. Well, I was amazed and frankly quite mad about it when I found out. You want me to tell you what it was? Well, no, I'm not going to tell you. That's called gossip. We talked about that at the beginning of Romans, didn't we? We need to, How are you doing on your gossip? Are you still working on it? Now back to the point, okay. We get into stuff and we certainly don't want others to get into, especially our children. We do it, why? Because we can. We even go to certain movies because the law says we can, but we wouldn't allow our child to go into that movie. We compromise so much, and we don't even realize it, that we're in the middle of sin. But it's a love story, really. It's a, it's a love story. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey, and, and the new one coming out, Fifty Shades Darker. It's just a love story. You mean where they break five of the Ten Commandments? That's a love Okay, okay. You know, the other day I saw a guy interviewed, and he was asked, Hey, I heard you stop smoking. He's like, yeah, yeah, for... For about a year now, well, well, I've known you for years. You have always smoked. What stopped you? Well, I was in New York and, and you know, outside of my apartment, and it's, and it's freezing, and my wife won't let me smoke on the inside, and I was enjoying my smoking, and I turned around, and my two-year-old has a pin in his fingers, 
And he's at the window looking at me, imitating me as I smoke. He goes, that day I stopped. Now, why was that? Well, he certainly didn't want his kid to start smoking. That is the thing. That is the thing with everything. We get involved in things that we do not want others to get in there and get involved with. We're doing stuff that has consequences. We don't want those consequences on them. So why do we allow ourselves to do it? If we are basically good people... Now you see my point. We're not basically good people. Someone asked us, why are you doing this bad thing? Well, because I can. Well, do you really want to? Well, yeah, I want to. Well, don't you know there's going to be consequences? Well, yeah, I guess so. Well, why do it if there's consequences? You just need to leave me alone because if you don't drop this, we're not going to be friends anymore. That's how we act. We even base our friendships on let me do evil and don't tell me I'm doing something evil or we can't be friends. Why? Because it makes us uncomfortable. On another talk show I was watching, I, I, apparently I watch a lot of talk shows, but an interviewer said to a guy who had been doing some bad things in his past, he goes, you know, and everyone knew about it, was out there, it was one of the entertainers, and, and he, the interviewer asked, you know, I want to talk about this thing you've been doing, or, you know, that happened. He says, I, I really don't want to talk about that. And the guy goes, well, everybody knows. And finally he got the guy to say, I've made a few mistakes. Well, wait a second, Mistakes? A mistake is a decimal point in the wrong place. You know, you added it up wrong. That, that's a mistake. A mistake is misplacing the DVDs for the teaching series. <laughs> that's a mistake. You see, an affair, that's not a mistake. That's a choice. Don't cut yourself a break. That's not a mistake. That is a sin, a sin that can be forgiven, a sin that can be worked through, a sin that God can repair that marriage, but still, it's a sin. It's not a mistake. Now, you can add a lot of things into this category. The, I'm going to ignore this sin because I'm kind of headed that way, and I really don't want other people telling me it's a sin, so I'm just going to ignore that. Now, mistakes. We all have regrets. Have you ever heard someone say that? Oh, well, I have I have regrets. You know, I have a few, I've made a few mistakes, but I don't have any regrets. Baloney. Come on. I know it has a first name called sin. Baloney. I, yeah, okay. But everyone has regrets, and to say that you don't is called denial. When a person is saying this, they're saying, well, I don't have as many regrets as you do, is what they're saying. I mean, people are like, well, who are you? Are you Mother Teresa? I mean, come on. Billy Graham? I read an interview about Billy Graham, and he said, guess what, you know, in the interview, and guess what? Billy Graham said he has regrets. Can you believe that? Billy Graham, he has regrets. Mother Teresa did an interview about 20 years ago, and she talked about how sinful she was. Mother Teresa! I mean, what did... Was she jealous because somebody had more bandages than she did when they were taking care of people? I mean, Mother Teresa. And she says, we all have a sinful nature. See, we got to get in touch with this thing. Or we cannot be Christians because Christians are people who confess real sin. 
We don't go, well, God forgive me of missing my quiet time on Tuesday. I mean, come on. That's not real. We don't go there because, you know, Christians are saved sinners. You are not a Christian if you are not a saved sinner. It's called acting. Jesus calls this a hypocrite. In fact, the term actor means hypocrite. It means mask wearer. So anytime you see an actor saying something on TV, remember what they really are. Christians are saved sinners. We're sinners by nature. A person will ask, well, why can I not sin? Well, that's a hard question to ask, you know, to answer. But you're a pastor. You can't say that. Well, my answer is our sin nature is powerful. This is why God gives us a helpmate. This is why God gives us a Holy Spirit, to fight the nature of sin. Sometimes God uses our spouse as that. And we're like, no, 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 don't tell me that. And it turns into a big fight. But we need to fight this nature, this battle within us, and we win some with the help of the Holy Spirit, and then we lose some when we try to do it on our own. This attitude is, we, you know, that, that we don't sin is really what gets us in the trouble. Uh, you, know, or I can't, you know, I can handle myself. And the reality is everyone, everyone is a sinner. Are we good with that? Do we understand that? I know I've been harping on this point. But we need to stay off our high horse. We need to stay off looking kind of down our noses at other people. Well, I'm, you know... I always use Andy because he's always sitting here. Oh, I'm a better person than Andy. And he told a lie the other day. Not really. I'm not gossiping. I'm just saying, using it as an example. If we stay off our high horse, start to understand we're, we're sinners saved by grace, the grace of God. We start to, start to understand, I am not going to hell because of that. And my life is better when I confess my sin. Try it. Don't lie about it. God can handle it. We think that being a Christian is acting good on Sunday sometimes. If I just show up, if I just act good, I'm a good person. So everybody feels like they're a good person, but it's not. Let's have a fellowship where we can say, I have sin. And let me tell you about some of my sin that I'm dealing with. Now, some of it will remain between me and God because I'm a little too embarrassed or I'm not ready to share that yet or, or those type of things. But, but, you know, we need to get to a point where we're real with each other and we talk about our struggles. Now, what's interesting is those who feel like they've, they're really bad, they were usually saved as an adult and they were saved from sins that were, were huge. Those are the ones that talk about their lives and, you know, the good and bad. Let me tell you what I did, you know, and God saved me from this. Let me tell you how I acted and God saved me. And for those that have been around the church the longest, you know, we're just better at keeping up appearances. We're just better at looking the part and keeping our mouths shut. You know, Catholics have it right to, uh, when it comes to, like, Ash Wednesday. Do you know why I say that? It's because it reminds them of their sinful conditions. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's a beautiful thing, Lent. But you know what the world does with something like that? 
We turn it into Mardi Gras. You know what I'm saying? We turn it into, let's party, let's do all these sins, let's do, have this big thing, and then I'll give something up for 40 days, and then I'll go back to living however I want to live. So today, let me live like I'm going to hell. That's not what we do. As Christians, we say, I don't have Mardi Gras. I don't have that in my life. I don't want to play games with God. What I want to do is to come to God in humility, confess my sins, and according to Romans, when I do this, it unlocks storehouses of grace for me. Here's the deal. When you confess, it's like God giving you a debit card, and it unlocks so much. You know, I mentioned a few weeks ago about my son, Brandon. He's been having some, some issues uh, starting this past summer and, and into the fall where, where he developed twitches and, and, and movements and very OCD type of things. Like he would take a bite and he would have to, have to do this certain motion before he would take the bite. And I mean, his, you know, stuff's falling off his fork because he keeps doing this, you know. And we're like, Brandon, just put it in your mouth. But unconsciously, I, I know as a parent, that's where you're going, just put the food in. You know, but you're like, ah, oh, what are we going to do? You know, so we're looking for someone to, to talk with him and, and, and to meet with us. And because of his age, there was no one around in our large uh, vicinity of Tulare and Visalia to do something like that at his age. So we expanded our search and, you know, down to Fresno and Bakersfield and the Children's Hospital, and we still couldn't find anybody. And finally called down to UCLA and Santa Barbara and, and finally reached somebody up at Stanford who took him on as a patient. Now, the only issue was it was an out-of-network thing. My wife has wonderful insurance. And the point is, we didn't care how much it cost at that point because the symptoms were driving us nuts. I mean, it was interfering with our family life, our vacation. In a sense, we really felt like, man, we're, we're losing our son in, in, in a way. Now, praise the Lord, the doctor helped him. I learned a few techniques to deal with it, and and it basically it's completely disappeared at this point. And there's a point to me telling you the story, okay? You know, but, uh, I mean, as hard as vacation is with a six-year-old and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old, you know what I mean? Add this on, and it's just crazy. But we're happy to have our our Brandon back, you know, a fun-loving, obnoxious kid that he is, you know. uh, We have him back. But this past week, I received the doctor's bill. Now, you could imagine, out of network, 350 bucks uh, per hour, not to mention the gas and the mills and travel time every Tuesday. We, you know, we drove up to the, uh, to the Bay Area. This is like $500 each time we had to win. Now, before you feel too bad for me, okay, uh, we've been putting money aside in, in what we call a, what's called a health savings account for, for our other son's, you know, his heart condition. We thought he was going to need surgery. The, you know, everything was indicating, our, you know, our doctor's like, you, you may need, you know, some heart surgery this next year. So we were putting um, some money aside. And, and, well, by the Lord's grace, the way the Lord worked it out with his heart condition and CCS helped pay for certain things. And, and uh, he needed surgery on something else that wasn't covered under that, that at Stanford cost $100,000 for the three-day visit in the hospital we weren't expecting. It's supposed to be in and out type of thing. And because of the heart issue and because of the adoption, we, you know, we don't pay for the hard stuff, but it met our deductible. So we didn't even have to pay the $4,500 out of pocket for Grayson. 
So when this bill comes for Brandon, we had enough money on the health savings card to pay for the whole thing. Now, I tell you, we could not have planned that out better. Now, do you think we planned that out? Absolutely not. You see my point? There's no way that we could have thought into the future and said, well, this will do this and this and this will do this. And, you know, to figure out the insurance and know all this hard stuff. You know, there's no way. Now, why did I go off on this tangent? Well, all of this was paid for in this health savings thing. Our debit card, in a sense. This is like when we confess our sin to God. We tap into this grace, this debit card of grace that we didn't have the foresight to understand that we would need it, that it would cover a multitude of sin in our lives. And, you know, I spent the first half of the sermon telling you how bad you are, right? And the greatest thing is that we have this, this you know, debit card of grace that God gives us that when we confess, this thing has like a million dollars on it. And when we confess, you know, we write the, car, or you write the check or charge the card for the amount of grace that's needed for that day. And it's already been approved. You don't, have have, you don't have to have a receipt. There's no form to fill out, to turn in. Just confess. And he gives it to you. When you confess, it's like the rich kid at college. You know, your daddy has a couple of extra credit cards, and when you go off to college, he gives you those credit cards. Gas money and all that, you don't have to worry about finances. Now, before you're thinking I'm kind of going off on this name it and claim it garbage, don't go there, okay? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, when we confess our sin, the money is there for you. The grace is there for you. And if you don't confess it, you don't receive the forgiveness. You don't get the grace. So don't, you know, I mean, so, so make sure that as you move along in this world that you're confessing your sin. You're recognizing a, a need for a Savior in your life. Make sure your spouse is the same way, your children are the same way, your parents, your friends. It's important that they understand. It's important not to have this attitude, you know, well, I did it, well, it's up to them. Yeah, it's up to them. Every person has to make their individual choice on that, on coming to the Lord. But the Lord may use you in that process. Hmm. This is why it's so important to allow the Holy Spirit to mature us, to help us fight the sin in our life, to help us fight the battle. Because I guarantee you, and you understand this, you can't do it by yourself, can you? It's a lost battle when you struggle by yourself. That's why the Holy Spirit is there for us. Because others are watching you. Others are watching what choices you make based on how you act and how you respond when the world is pressing in. And be a, a minister of reconciliation for others. When they see you respond and do the right thing and go toward God, be that type of person. Now, we've talked about the Roman road in the past, and, and we talked about a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is, you know, if you wanted a simple way to, to show people as you're talking with them and they say, yeah, I want to know more about what you believe. The Roman road is a, a simple way to doing that, and, and it begins with Romans you know, 3.23 saying basically, we all fall short. In other words, what I've been talking about at the beginning of the sermon, we're all bad. 
Without God, our nature is sinful. Then the next step on that is Romans 5, 8. But God, <coughs> God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He just said previously, hard for us to die for someone that's bad, much less good. But God, you see my point? It's hard for us to die for somebody. Would you put your life on the line for for a good person? Maybe. Would you put your life on the line for a bad person? Probably not. But that's exactly what God does. In verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? I mean, if you want to, if they're really interested, you know, throw in Romans you know, 5, 1, and 2 and talking about access to God and how we have access. But I love this in verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ could have said, just love each other. Christ could have said, it's okay, there's many ways to God. But Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We are saved from wrath. And the word, uh, you know, demonstrate means to prove or exhibit or display loyalty. And, and, you know, so God proves and exhibits and displays His love for us. That while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. This is like the wealthiest person coming to the orphanage. And picking the dirtiest, most obnoxious, most misbehaved child. Not the cute little baby. You know, you see this all the time that you go over to orphanages overseas. And you will see there's older children that never got picked as babies. And and, and hardly ever do they get picked. Who do we all want? Oh, the cute little cuddly baby. They're fun, aren't they? Especially when they're not yours, in a sense, you've got to change them, feed them. All. Oh, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But, but, I mean, children are fun. This is how God is with us. He gives us a ring after he chooses, uh, chooses us. He gives us a robe and says, this is my child. I love you. I love you. The teenager who no one wanted to adopt, who is the troublemaker, God is like, You are my child. This is what it is to be a Christian. God accepts me for who I am. And then he asked me not only to to take that, but to stand on grace and under grace and over grace and, you know, behind grace and, and just let grace overwhelm me to the point I am filled with grace. And this is what's so cool. Grace cannot be taken away. Later, Paul will tell us, don't take advantage of it. We get so much grace. Don't take advantage of that. And we're going to talk about that later. But I want you to understand, it cannot be taken away because we are justified by his blood. Now, as we've been going through Romans, again, what does justified mean? It means to acquit, to remove guilt, to declare someone innocent. Romans 5, verse 10, it says, We are justified by his blood. 
And this is why, um, uh, why we save communion to the end today. And I'll, I'll tell, uh, if, the, if the servers want to go ahead and go get the communion and get it ready, I'll tell you when to pass it out. But we save communion to the end because this is so important. It says in verse 10, 10 For if while we were God's enemies... Now, who's an enemy of God? Sin. While we were God's enemies, we were full of sin. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, what do you think the key word of that passage is? Reconcile. It means to atone. It means to, to uh, exchange or transform. We were atoned in an exchanging work because somebody needed to, to die for our sins. Because our sins are so bad, there's no good person here. A good person cannot go into the throne room of God because they have sin in their life. And what, you know, our sins are that bad. And what happens is God reconciles us. God atones us. Jesus does on the cross so we can go into that throne room. And Colossians 1.19, Paul says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him, and we're talking about Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated, that means you couldn't get to God. Once you were alienated and were enemies in the minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that, I, that, that you heard and that has been uh, proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You have been reconciled when you have accepted Christ. Amen? That's what communion is about. Communion represents Christ dying for your sin, his body being beaten and and hurt to cover your sin because somebody had to atone for that sin. That's why we don't have to go to the temple and, and, and sacrifice any animals because the sacrifice has been made. Think about that for a few minutes, and they're going to pass out the communion, and we'll take it together here in a moment. If you want to boil down what the Bible is talking about, you were bad. God is righteous. God is good. God is pure. God is holy. You can't get there because our nature is sinful. The only way to get there is that Christ died for your sins. Reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means accepting Him, if anyone is in Christ, 
the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. Wow. He doesn't count your sin against you. That is a beautiful thing. God took the bread and he broke it and said, take and eat for this is my body. He passed the cup and said, take and drink for this is my blood. Let us pray. Lord, you are an amazing God. That you created the heavens and the earth. You created this world and and the beauty that's out there, whether it's snow or rain or the forest or the desert, the mountains or the ocean. You created it all. Yet you died for us. You didn't die for all of that. You died so we could come and be with you. We thank you for that, Lord. We praise you for that. And Lord, sometimes we feel like we're bad people. Sometimes our sin seems to overwhelm us. And I pray that that as we confess our sin, that your grace just overwhelms us to the point that we we don't feel that sin anymore. That you've taken away the shame, you've taken away the guilt. And you've left the Holy Spirit there and and your grace to help us not commit those sins again. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for dying for us on the cross. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless your day and bless your week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.